Hello, Ashley Posen here. I am so excited to get to share with you our live radio show now on podcast. I pray you enjoy and are richly blessed by our study of women of the Bible. God has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. We are dedicated to letting the truth of God's word lead us. You are listening to One Truth Ministries podcast. Here is your host, Ashley Posey. Good morning and welcome to One Truth. We are dedicated to letting truth lead us and letting it guide us on this show and as we study the Word of God together. We're so thankful for God's provision in this way and being able to share the truth of God's Word because it is so critically important. And I don't know about you, but to me, I mean, if you've been paying attention to the headlines lately, all you have to do is open up the newspaper and or listen to what's going on even in the Supreme Court and you'll know what I'm talking about. There is such a lack of knowing the truth of God's Word and it's leading people to make decisions that are contrary to what the truth of God's word says. And it's leading us as a culture down a very negative path. And it breaks my heart because we are neglecting, forgetting, and turning our backs on the one God who can save us and who can equip us to follow him. And so even in thinking about this today, I am so passionate about us knowing the truth of God's word in every aspect, whether that means studying the books of the Bible, which we should always do, knowing the people that God wanted to teach us through the Bible, meditating on his scripture. We need to know the truth of God's word because it is only in knowing his word that we can actually apply it to our lives and follow him the way he's called us to follow him. But when we ignore God's word, we're ignoring that truth that will set us free. And instead, we are going to find ourselves held down into the bondage of this current culture and where it's taking us, which I will say is very far away from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I'm so thrilled this morning to get to open the word of God together and take part in his truth because that truth will sanctify us. It will cleanse us. It will empower us and challenge us as we follow Jesus Christ. And we want to be transformed by the truth of God's word, right? We do not want to be conformed to this this world. And if you know where this world is headed, you would say amen to that. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for taking part in studying God's word because it is our one truth. He is truth. And so we're so thankful to be here this morning. If you are just tuning in with us and you don't know kind of what we're doing and where we've been going, we are going through a study on different women of the Bible because sometimes these women can be pushed to the side or maybe forgotten about and we're not uh, studying them as in-depthly as I believe God would want us to, because if we know anything about scripture, we know that it is God breathed, right? That it is profitable to us for correction and reproof and training in righteousness so that the person of God, the man and woman of God will be thoroughly equipped and ready for every good work that he has for us. Now, when it says every scripture is God breathed, the Lord means that every part of the word of God, we do not want to leave out anything. And so that means even in the study of the people that God placed in the Bible for us to learn from. And so these women are no exception. In fact, it is so empowering to get to learn from how God moved in their lives, what he did in their lives, and the truth he wants to teach us through their lives. We are going to in-depthly study the, the life of Mary of Nazareth. I know there are many Marys in the New Testament. We are going to talk about Mary of Nazareth because um, in doing so, I know that we will gain such a depth of the truth that God wants us to know. 
And it's funny, as I was thinking about her, I was remembering how many times my husband and I will go back and think about the very beginning of our marriage. In fact, we'll think about our wedding day. Now, we met as young children and and we've loved each other ever since then, but we, we oftentimes go back to our wedding day because it was such a memorable, amazing day for us. And we think about those moments right when we were saying I do and right before we we pledged our vows to each other. And we often talk about what a big moment in our life that was. Because for the two of us, when we made that declaration before God, when we said yes and I do to each other, we knew it was a moment of no return. There would be no going back. When we made those vows to each other before our Lord, we knew this was one of those times in life that you step off the edge of the cliff and there is no going back. And as thrilling as that is, sometimes it can even be a little heavy or fearful as we take that step. You know, another one of those moments in our life is whenever we end up having children. If, you, if you've ever had a child, um, that day that they come into the world is a moment where you know there is no return. You are forever a parent. Now, of course, um, if you are a follower of Christ, you know that that moment starts at conception. And the moment you realize you are a parent, you're a mother or a father, your life will never be the same. That is one of those no going back, no return moments. You're stepping off the edge of that cliff and it's a beautiful, um, albeit sometimes frightful thing. And I want us to go back to the beginning today. I want us to remember when we were discussing and studying the life of Eve, because I want us to think about how it all began with that first woman we studied. And if you remember, after God makes this incredibly beautiful place and he has this incredible relationship with Adam and Eve, she is very soon after tempted by the evil one, by Satan himself. And after she believes the lies of the enemy, she came to a place where she had to make a choice. She was either going to believe God or she was going to disobey God. And we know, of course, that at that moment, all of creation hung in the balance. And in my mind, I can almost see heaven leaning in, wondering what she's going to choose. But at that time in history, Eve was faced with a choice, whether she knew it or not. The choice she made would be one of no return. There would be no going back. And as soon as she made that choice to disobey God, sin and death flooded into the very fabric of this perfect world that God had created. At this point, everything was marred. Everything was damaged and sin stood as the uncrossable barrier between God Almighty and the ones that were created in his image. There was a deafening chasm that separated us from our creator, but God. Don't you love that phrase, but God, never to be outdone. He made us this one promise. He gave us a hint to the plan he had had from the beginning. And of course, it's found in Genesis 3, 15. But I want to think about a moment just before we read this verse. I want us to think about the fact that Eve was faced with this choice to believe God or believe Satan. And like I said, whether she knew it or not. This was the first moment for humanity of no return, where creation, as it's waiting to see what she would do, when she took that forbidden fruit and ate it, there was no going back. 
And I want us to remember the beautiful promise that was given to us in Genesis 3.15. Some of you may know it very intimately, but as God is dealing with the different punishments um, and discipline that's happening to both Adam and Eve and the serpent, in in verse 13 of chapter 3, he says this, and I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Now you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Even right there in that moment where God is having to deal with the fallout of humanity's fall, he gives us a hint that he's not done yet, that he has a plan. And he says, you know what? I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between her seed and your seed. You're going to strike his heel, but ultimately he's going to crush your head. This is the first time we see the joyous truth that God is not done. He still has a plan. And it is with this fact in mind that I want us to understand the beautiful truth that I'm about to tell you because it's powerful to me. You see, although Satan used a woman to usher in the destruction of the earth as God had created it to be, he used a woman to usher in the devastation of sin into this world, but God, never to be outdone, chooses to use a woman to usher in the gift of salvation for all of mankind. Do you see that? Isn't that powerful? You see, the enemy would take what God had made and try to twist it and use it for evil. And yet God says, this is still my creation. Womankind belongs to me. And so it's amazing to me that as Satan tried to use a woman and he did, deceiving her, he used a woman to usher in darkness and sin and death into this world. God says, you know what? I'm going to redeem. I'm going to restore the creation I made when I made woman. And you're going to see woman now usher in the light, the salvation, and the hope for all mankind. I hope you're at least clapping a little bit with your hands if you're listening to this because this is so powerful what God can do. You see, when the enemy decides to use arrows against us in God's hands, he turns those arrows right back against the enemy. And what what the enemy is meant for, for harm and for evil, God can turn and use it mightily for good and for his kingdom. Amen? It's so awesome. And so this is what we're going to see. This is the moment humanity has been waiting for since the many prophecies that have come after Adam and Eve. And one in particular I'm thinking about comes, of course, from Isaiah 9. And many of you will know this, but I want to remind you, this is something that the people of God have been waiting for ever since that time. And in chapter 9 of Isaiah, Starting in verse two, it says this, the people walking in darkness have now seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. And it goes on to say in verse six, for unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This was one of many prophecies that had been given about the coming Messiah. And today, right now, as we read the section of scripture we're going to begin studying, it is right here at this time that we will finally see this prophecy come to fruition. 
It is so exciting because after all of this time, after hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting, it is time. And we're going to get to know the one woman God chose to usher all of this into being. Now, I say all this today, and I don't want us to miss this. We are not talking about the life of Mary in order to idolize her as some do. She is not to be elevated to the place of God to us or elevated into this place where we pray to her or we worship her. Even she herself will describe who she is. She was never calling for worship, nor should she ever have that worship. Our worship and adoration and prayer belong to one and only one. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, and our Savior. He is the only one deserving of our praise. But we also, just as the fact that we do not want to idolize her, we also do not want to ignore her. Because you see, here's the problem. In our, a lot of our Christian circles, we so do not want to idolize her that instead we have um, the sadness of ignoring her. And we don't want to do either one of those two things because you see every word, every person told about in the Bible is told about for our edification, for our training, just like we talked about earlier for teaching us and equipping us. So we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it is a shame. It is to our detriment to ignore this woman. We can learn so much from her and we want to allow God today to challenge us through her. Now, we're only going to begin our study of her today. There is so much. That's why we will be taking these three weeks to talk about her. But I want to begin introducing you to Mary of Nazareth Nazareth today because she is an incredibly extraordinary woman who God used in a miraculous, profound way. Let us not idolize her, but please, church, let us not ignore her because God wants us to learn and be challenged and grow through the lessons he has given us in her life. And so I want us to turn to Luke today, chapter one. That's where we will begin our study of her. And I love this because like I said, you know, we're going to, we're going to look at some of the history that we're going to remark on that's important, but mostly we want to get in, get to know this woman, to dig deep into her life because we often overlook what God did and who she really was. It's an amazing thing to study. There's a great challenge to us through the study of her life. And so if you'll turn with me, if you guys have Bibles, if not, you can listen. We're going to read Luke chapter one, and I'm just going to take the first few verses. We're going to look at this in chunks in her life. And so right now we're going to focus in on the pre-birth of Christ. So her life before Jesus came into being um, through her. And so Luke chapter one, verse 26, it picks up right here. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. First and foremost, I want us to understand Mary knew what it was like to live a life of obscurity. We have to pick that out right away because it is important to us. She knows what it's like to live a life where nobody knows your name. In fact, you come from a no-named town. If you guys remember John 1:46, it tells us nothing good comes from Nazareth. Nazareth was a very small, small village. I've been there myself personally. I've walked through it. I've seen the excavation of Nazareth. And what's amazing to me is where scholars used to believe maybe it was a village of 1,500, maybe 2,000 people. With all the excavation done now, they are believing that this was a village of no more than 500 people. 
It was so small and insignificant. And like the people who were talking in John chapter one, they're saying nothing good comes out of this town. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. She knew what it was like to have a name of no mention, to come from a town not worth mentioning. And it is in this place that we are going to first meet her, this young woman named Mary, who is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, I got to stop right here and explain Jewish engagement because many of you may know this, but in case you don't, let us remember this. As far as the Jewish customs go, Mary would have most likely been around the age of 12 years old when this takes place. You see, the tradition for engagement at this time for betrothal for a young lady is they were betrothed anywhere between 12 and 14 years old. Most traditionally, they were betrothed around 12 years old. Now, the engagement would last about a year before they could consummate their marriage and live together as husband and wife. At Joseph at this time, most likely was in between the ages of 18 to 20 because that was traditionally how old a male was when he was betrothed to the woman. And so can you think about this for a second? This young lady who who nobody knows, coming from a town nobody cares about, she knows what it's like to live a life of obscurity, to be somebody where nobody knows you, going about her daily routines. And I say this because so many of us know what it's like to live in that obscurity. I've talked to women who have chosen not to go to women's conferences because of this. And this is exactly what they've said to me. I will never be what that woman is. Nobody will ever know my name. I can't even go. I don't want to go because I don't want to be reminded that I am nobody. I want to tell you something. If you are a child of God, all of heaven knows your name. You are known by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the plan he has for you is extraordinary. It does not matter how many people on earth knows our name. You are known in all of heaven. And so was Mary and God is going to show us this. You see, it doesn't matter that we're called out by humans. It matters that we're called out by God. And this is what's going to happen to Mary. But in case you were wondering, she knew what that was like. She didn't come from a famous family. She came from a place of humility. And this is so huge during Christmas season where we make everything about the extravagance of this season. And yet the greatest things that have happened in our world have started from the smallest of things. From that wrapped and cloaked in humility. I want us to think about that because Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the glorious one did not come to this earth wrapped in glory and splendor. He came to this earth wrapped in utter humility. He came humbly. He came in that weakness so that we would be made strong in him. He stepped down from his throne to serve us even with his death. And I want us to think about that. Because will we be willing to serve him with our life? Will we we be willing to follow, follow in his footsteps and walk out a life of humility before him? You see, Mary knew what it was like to come from humble beginnings. And at this point, as young as she is, maybe 12 years old, betrothed and engaged to Joseph, who's maybe 18 years old. I want to tell you something. I have a 12-year-old daughter, and I cannot even begin to fathom what it would be like to have this burden and this weight placed on her shoulders. If God himself came to her and said, this is what I am calling you to do. Because another thing to understand with this engagement is that it could only be broken by a divorce. 
It was legally binding. In fact, their betrothal ceremonies was much like our wedding ceremonies. It was witnessed by witnesses. It was performed by a rabbi or an official. They would make vows to each other. There would be gifts given and exchanged, and they would be married according to the law and yet not consummated. And so about a year after their betrothal, they would consummate their marriage and be allowed to live as husband and wife. But right now, if Joseph were to die, Mary would have been considered a widow. If either one of them would have had an affair on the other, it was punishable by stoning. It was a very serious commitment that they made to each other. And so this young lady, maybe of 12 years old, is betrothed to this man, Joseph, who's of the line of David. And we're going to see what happens to her. But I wanted you to get that in your head. Can you imagine being 12 years old and look at what is going to be asked of you? So she's going about her daily life, probably learning from her mother what it means to be a wife, going about her chores. And it says the angel Gabriel came into her. So came into where she was living. And let us pick up in verse 28 and listen to what the angel said. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, could you imagine this? This being walks into her home and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29 says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, notice she didn't fall down as if she were afraid. It said she was greatly troubled. That phrase means to be disturbed wholly, to be agitated. In other words, she is thoroughly disturbed at this. She's agitated because she does not know what in the world this being is talking about. He's claiming that she is highly favored. And can you imagine what's going on in her mind right now as she thinks, no, you must have the wrong person. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm from Nazareth. I'm just a 12-year-old girl. I'm betrothed. There's nothing special or honoring about me. But he says, the Lord is with you. And it says, Mary was agitated at this and she wondered what kind of greeting this would be. You're going to notice this about Mary. It's an amazing quality she had that when she was troubled or things were going on, she would ponder them continually in her heart. Did you know that's what that word wondered means? It says she wondered what kind of greeting this would be. It means she was considering it. She was pondering it, trying to figure it out. And so the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. Could you imagine having that pronounced to you at 12 or 13 years old? Listen to how Mary responds in verse 34. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Now, this is amazing to me, and we're going to stop right here for today in a second. I want us to consider this. Listen to Mary's response. How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, if you remember what took place before the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he also spoke with a member of her family, Zechariah. As he was performing his priestly duties, Gabriel came into Zechariah and told him that his barren wife, who was well past the age of childbearing, Elizabeth, was her name, that she was going to bear a child, that she was um, going to become pregnant, and this child would be the one to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, that he was going to be full of wisdom and righteousness. And do you remember what Zechariah asked the angel? He said, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in, in years. 
So in essence, he's literally saying, how can I know what you're saying is true? Do you know how Gabriel responded to him? In verse 19, he said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you. And so basically to put it in my own paraphrase, he goes on to tell Zechariah, uh, and this is truly just for me, it's not in there. If you can't say something nice, you aren't saying anything at all. And if you remember what happens to Zechariah, Gabriel closes his mouth and tells him you will not be able to speak until the birth of your son. You see, Zechariah was questioning the validity of what God had told him. He was questioning whether or not what Gabriel said was true. And Gabriel says, do you know who I am? I stand in the presence of God. And so now he comes to Mary and I want you to pay attention to how she responds to him because she is not questioning the validity of what Gabriel has told her. She is questioning the methodology of it. Now, these are two very different things. She doesn't say, how can I know this is true? She says, how will this be? In other words, how can this happen since I am a virgin? She is questioning, how do you want this to take place? How should this come about? I am a virgin. I have not been with a man. And you're going to notice from Gabriel's response, the difference between her response to Gabriel and Zechariah. Because Gabriel answers her with the exact answer of how this is going to come about. You see, God is not worried about our questions of how. In fact, I believe he welcomes them. He wants us to ask him, how, Lord, do you want us to do this? How do you want me to go about this decision or this action or this conversation? How should I do this? You see, we're seeking him. We're seeking his ways. We're acknowledging him and we know he will direct our path. And it's a beautiful thing how Mary asks this. How is this supposed to come into being? She knows what it's like to live a life of obscurity. But right now at this moment, Mary is a woman who knows what it means to be called out and chosen. Each and every one of us are called out and chosen. And it does not matter what life of obscurity you have lived up until this point. I want to tell you today, God is calling you out and he is choosing you. And I wonder what our response to him will be. We're going to go so much more into this next week as we look at the answer Gabriel gives Mary and how she finalizes her answer to God because it is what shapes everything. We learn so much from her, but I want to even look at right now today. I want us to pay attention that when God calls you out, when he chooses you, I want to encourage us, do not question the validity of that. If God is speaking, we must listen. But like Mary, we can ask him, Lord, how do you want this to go about? How will this be? And the angel's going to answer her just like I know God will answer us. I am so thrilled to get to talk more about this next week. We have so much to cover in the life of Mary. And I pray we were introduced to her today in a way that draws us into her life because it is thrilling to walk through this with her. I want to encourage you, please join me next week as we dive into more of who Mary is and what God is teaching us through her life. When God calls us, will we answer him? And will our answer be one of yes, Lord? Thank you for joining us. I'll see you next week on One Truth.